Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. That's a little unfair, isn't it? But it proves my point that things are not always as they appear. You know, on Sunday morning, you show up and participate in worship, and Pastor Kurt and I meet up there, and we pray, and we don our black robes with the doctoral stripes, and you give us the privilege of coming up front and talking to you, and you probably presume that we are holy. I won't speak for Pastor Kurt. but I'm not even close. Never deluded into thinking I'm getting close. Always reminded I'm really, really far away. But today, in this scripture, I find hope for myself, and I hope you find hope for where you are today. Tommy Lasorda was one of my favorites. I was never a Dodger fan, but I admired his quips and his personality and his faith. He was a longtime LA Dodgers baseball coach, and he describes his battle with his bad habits like this. He says, one day I took a pack of cigarettes out of my pocket, held them in my hand. I looked at him and I said, who's stronger, you or me? Tommy said, I was, so I quit smoking. He says, about a week later, I'm sitting at the bar with a vodka martini in front of me. I look at it. And I say, who's stronger, you or me? Tommy says, I was, so I quit drinking. He says, then he went on a diet. He's sitting down at the restaurant, his favorite. There's a plate of linguine with clam sauce in front of him. He looks at it, he says, who's stronger, you or me? He says, that's when a little clam looked up at him and said, I am so eat up, chubby. And he did. Anybody relate? In today's text, the Apostle Paul is describing his own personal struggle with sin. Paul knew well about the battle between his ears, the struggle between his flesh and his spirit. He'd been on this journey of sanctification for 22 years at this point. He knew how often it was three steps forward and one back. Some days, one step forward and two back. He knew that the day happened in the past, on the road to Damascus, when God confronted him face to face. And he fell to his knees, humbled, blinded, yielded, and he chose to believe Jesus was God's son. And soon thereafter, he chose to become a follower of Jesus and his way. Before Paul became a follower, he chased after sin. But after he became a follower, sin started chasing after Paul. Because once we choose to believe, once we become followers, we're part of a process called sanctification. Moving from where we used to be toward the likeness of Christ. Paul knew he was losing the battle on occasion. 
Some days he won, some days he lost, but he's exasperated. And verse 15 starts in the living version with these words. Paul says, my own behavior baffles me. I can relate to that, can't you? Ever have days where you just shake your head and you say, I just can't believe how today went. The good news is Paul wrote today's text on his third missionary journey 22 years after he became a follower of Christ. I find support in that, comfort in that. He's not a beginning Christian trying to figure this out. He's way down the road. He's already written most of the New Testament, started most of the churches that he wrote to in the New Testament. And he's shaking his head saying, my own behavior baffles me. I told you there's gonna be hope for us today. And there is. The secret to personal change is not finding a good life coach. It's not stronger willpower. It's not pills or resolutions or going to a fat farm. The secret to life change is to discover the truth. The Bible tells us Jesus is the truth. He says, I am the truth. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. I told that in, I have three steps on this journey with the truth. Step number one, we acknowledge the problem. Paul said, why do I do what I don't want to do? And I asked myself, why do I do what I don't want to do? I don't think you're going to like my answer. The reason we do what we don't want to do is because we really do want to do it. Tell me I'm wrong now. Let me share three definitions as we begin to sort this out. The first one is the word sin. We don't talk about it today. It's unpopular to mention it, but it's in the Bible hundreds of times. It comes from the Greek word hamartia. It literally means we shoot our arrow at the target and the arrow lands short. An example would be God says, love your neighbor as yourself. The lady moves in next door to your condo. You take her cookies, you try to be friendly, but her dog barks at night. She's messy and she talks too much. And if the truth were told, you really don't like her. That would be a sin. You fall short. Definition number two is the word transgression. In Greek, it's the word paranasis. It means we shot the arrow at the target, and this time the arrow went long. You went over the target. You exceeded the target. This happens when you're driving on 75, where the speed limit is 75, and you look around, there's hardly anybody on the road, and who's it going to affect if you drive 85? So you drive 85. Anybody? That's exceeding the limit set for us. It's a transgression. Definition number three is the word inequity. In Greek, it's anomia. It literally means you choose your own target to shoot at. You forget God's targets, you shoot at your own. Because after all, nobody's the boss of you, and who put God in charge anyway? Iniquity is the most egregious of these because it fails to acknowledge that God is the ultimate boss. At AA, which we used to host at my last church, I occasionally went to meetings, and I prayed with them, and I supported them, 
And one thing I learned is step number one. And AA is to say, my name is Bill, and I am an alcoholic. And there's a reason that's where AA starts the road to recovery. It begins with acknowledging there is a problem, and it's us. As Kurt Apley stated in his prayer, the Bible says there's no one righteous, not even one. There is no difference for all fall short. But the gift of God, the gift of God is life eternal through faith in Jesus' his Son. Number one, we admit that we are the problem. Step number two, we turn to Christ for help. It's not enough to know you have the problem. There are a lot of potential places to turn. We have to turn to Christ. Paul knew he was a problem. He believed, he followed, he tried, and sometimes he failed. He knew firsthand the power of that little clam. Eat up, chubby. But he also knew in verse 25, there was a way out, and it's through Jesus, God's son. I read recently that in the past decade, over 300 people have fallen off of cruise lines into the ocean. That kind of shocked me. 39-inch rails, how does that happen? Over 300. Let's pretend you and I are on that cruise and we've just fallen in. How long do you think you could tread water? You know, it takes quite a while for a big cruise lander to hit the brakes. Lower the dinghy, send somebody back to try to rescue you. Could you make it 15 minutes? Maybe 30. There are some who believe that salvation happens as we're treading water. And we're losing strength. And we see a dinghy headed toward us, a dot on the horizon, and we're holding out. With our last ounce of energy, we're staying up as Jesus arrives in the rescue boat and pulls the life ring. We grab it and he pulls us to safety. There's some who think that's what salvation is like. But not me. Not Pastor Perk. For us, salvation is we've treaded water as long as we can. We've used the survival bobbing we learned in swim, swimming lessons in fourth grade. We're floating on our back. But eventually, we run out of strength. Eventually, we give up the ghost, blup, 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 and we drown. We sink all the way to the bottom, dead. But in his perfect timing, Jesus comes in the dinghy, sees us on the bottom, dives in, swims down to get us, takes us in his arms, swims to the boat, pulls us on board, and breathes new life into our dead bodies. That's what salvation is. Because the only thing that we contribute to our salvation are the sins from which we need forgiveness. It's all God and zero us. It's God's gift of eternal life. That's why it's a gift. It's all God. We were dead in sin, but Jesus gives us new life. When I was age 14, I was invited to Rowena Glessner's Bible Club after school. I only went because a certain cute girl was going to be there, and they were giving free donuts, truth be told. But at the end of the lesson time, she said, to become a Christian, you have to pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart. 
I'd gone to church every Sunday. Nobody ever told me that. But if there's something else I needed to do to get right with God, I wanted to do it. So I stayed after, along with Beth Bergman, and we prayed with Rowena to become Christians. I professed that I believe Jesus is God's son. And I admitted that I was committed to being a follower from that day forward. And so began a sanctification process in my life that's been two steps forward and one back. Some days, one forward and two back. But what I have learned in the midst of it all is verse 25. Jesus is my way out. In this sanctification process, there have been many days where my spirit has been willing, but my flesh has been weak and the flesh is warm. Case in point, last week at work, you all know I work for two men in the truck and I move furniture. There were three of us on Monday on this assignment. Johnny and I worked together frequently, and then it was Miguel who was brand new, and he was going to shadow us and kind of learn the ropes. Miguel was about 350 pounds, a little overweight. He was tall, but he was insecure, and he was sweet, and he wanted to please. And about halfway through the day, he finds out I'm a pastor, and his face lights up and he starts asking me these questions about God. And I'm happy to be talking with him about God. He asked, I'm just answering. And after about an hour of that, as we're working, he says in the back of the truck, is there some way I could become a Christian today? And I said, you bet, let's pray together. And I held his hand and in the back of two men in the truck, I prayed for Miguel to become a Christian. And what a blessing that day was for me. I was on cloud nine, thanking God for the honor of being present. And God did something that only God can do, and that's something that changed our hearts and lives. That was Monday. Tuesday, I'm on assignment with Elijah, 22-year-old kid, a good kid. He and I are carrying an armoire. This baby's seven feet tall. And it probably weighed 300 pounds. You people down here have heavy furniture. And we're carrying it out the back of the truck. I'm going backwards down the ramp, and he's coming toward me. And the goal is to set it down on the concrete in the garage. But as we're lowering it to set it down, his left hand slips. He loses grip, and it falls in the corner, hits the concrete. That's not good. And instantly, a streak, a blue streak of words came out of my mouth. Hadn't planned it, don't know where it came from. And I looked at his face, his mouth was open and he was in shock. And I shrugged my shoulders and I said, I'm sorry. Well, you see, the truth is I'm both those guys. I'm the guy on Monday who prayed with Miguel and I'm the guy on Tuesday who had a bad witness by losing his temper and cursing a shriek. My hope like Paul's is verse 25. Jesus is my way out. Step number three. We give the good, the bad, and the ugly to God. All of it. Because even our good works, we usually do with the wrong intention and can't wait to tell others. We give those to God. We give him the bad, the things he needs to cast as far as the east is from the west to be God, forgiven and forgotten forever. We give him the ugly, the things that baffle us. 
We shake our heads. We give them all to him. Sunday afternoon is grocery day for me. I'm a creature of habit, and every Sunday afternoon late, I go to Publix and buy groceries for the week. And I usually make the same stops in the grocery store, pick up the same stuff from the same people. And last Sunday, I'm in the line, waiting to be checked out, and I couldn't help but read the titles of the gossip magazines. Any of you do that? You don't have to admit it. Last Sunday, I read one on New Woman magazine. It was called Seven Ways to Feel Better Fast. I thought this ought to be good. I opened it up and took some notes. Step number one, take a late lunch and watch your favorite soap. Ladies, number two, pretend you're on a deserted island with Richard Gere. Number three, go shopping at your favorite shoe store. Number four, have your favorite pizza delivered. Number five, watch a Fred Astaire movie with popcorn. Number six, reread your favorite romance novel. Number seven, get rid of all your old underwear. Now, I guess the assumption is you're going to replace it with new, but it didn't say. <laughs> but I ask you, is that the best the world has to offer to make us feel better? Is that it? I make no apologies today to stand before you and say, Jesus Christ is a better answer. The bad news is you and I are not as good as we'd like to be. But the good news is God still loves us, accepts us, and forgives us. Because Jesus not only died for our past sins, he's already died for our future sins. I may cuss more this next week. It's already forgiven. Next year, already forgiven. Paul fell short and so do we. But here's the good news. Jesus covers the gap. Our gaps are not the same, but he covers them all. So we give it all to him, the good, the bad, the ugly. Anybody here know the name Red Hardy? Ever heard of the man? I'd be surprised if he had. He was a Major League Baseball player for one month. Played for the Giants, debuted in May of 51. He pitched in two games, lost them both. His ERA was 8.75. That's not good. And yet, he bragged his entire life that his baseball card was worth a hundred bucks. And it was true. Now, how could that be, you ask? Well, in baseball cards, they put rookies two to a card. In 1951, someone else also debuted in May, and his name was Willie Mays. So throughout Red's life, he knew that his card was worth a hundred bucks, not because of his playing ability. It was because who else was on the card with him? And friends, isn't that the case with us in our faith? We're valuable in the eyes of God, not based on our ability to play the game of life. It's based on Christ's obedience, not ours. It's a gift God offers to those who just receive it by faith. You and I are children of the Almighty God. Not because of our stats on the card, but because Jesus covers the gap. So we can relax. 
but stressing out over the fact that we're not as good as we'd like to be, and instead be reminded that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For we will be more than conquerors. We will be sons and daughters of the Most High God. And that's who we are. And that's how we got there. So the best response is gratitude, thanksgiving, and a worshipful life. We are God's children, grafted into his tree through Jesus Christ. May God give us the ability to understand in hearts that are grateful no matter what. Thanks be to God. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.